Welcome to the Innovation Roundtable Insights Podcast. This episode was recorded in Copenhagen at the 2016 Innovation Roundtable Summit, where our colleague Leonard sat down with Peter Hiscox, a member of the senior teaching faculty for the Judge Business School at Cambridge University. In addition to teaching innovation management at Cambridge since 1993, Peter has founded eight ventures. This discussion focuses on how large firms apply lean methodologies to new business model innovation and the unique advantages this gives them in comparison to SMEs. You were telling me a bit about a, a your couple of own startups you have been involved with and maybe starting with telling your own experiences and applying it at, at the smaller scale to start with. Well, I think lean is a very interesting and important approach uh, within business. Uh, and my own personal experience comes from uh, applying it in startups, which I've uh, have been founder or co-founder with. Uh, I've done nine startups to date. And uh, startups are important, but the really important thing with uh, entrepreneurship is to have a business that grows, grows fast, grows effectively. Uh, very many uh, new business ventures start as one or two people and stay that way. The really important thing is to find how to make those businesses grow. But growth is also dangerous because when we grow, we need more resources, uh, we need to take risks. And the way that we grow our business in a way which allows it to grow successfully requires very careful management attention to make sure that we have the right product, not just the right product now, but right products into the future, that we constantly engage with, uh, with our customers to make sure we really understand not just what they're saying they want, but what they really need. Um, this needs processes of rapid prototyping, identifying what's an effective minimum viable product, uh, making sure that we're ready to listen very carefully and watch carefully how our clients, our customers use our product uh, to make sure that we are recycling our ideas and redeveloping the product so that it's really going to beat the competition. Not just beat the competition, it's going to be much better than the competition so that customers are going to want to come to us. And doing all of this with very little money, almost no money, uh, that's really soup, that's lean. Um, one of my uh, recent businesses is a company called Podpoint. We make electric vehicle charge systems. Um, we're now about seven years old. Uh, we will do about 10 million sales this year, 10 million pound sales, and we have about 100 people. Um, we had the first five years of our existence were very lean, super lean. Um, and we needed to constantly engage with our customers to make sure that we were re-evolving and developing our products so that they were meeting rapidly changing needs. This is a brand new market and the needs are changing fast. And that fast cycle time, uh, engagement and uh, um, working with customers is super important. Now, these techniques can be applied to big companies. Uh, in fact, uh, I've spent much of my life working, uh, running consulting businesses, helping large companies to improve their innovation management activities. Uh, when we look at big companies, uh, such as many of the people who have come to the Innovation Roundtable, they're spending hundreds of millions 
of euros a year, sometimes billions of euros a year on R&D and innovation. In fact, you know, at the top of the table, we have companies like Volkswagen, Audi Group, uh, which last year spent 13.5 billion US dollars. Huge amounts of money. Uh, my question for these, uh, the people running these senior businesses, are you getting the best return for that investment? Um, can we, in fact, improve your management practices, management of innovation in ways that will get you a better return. Um, one of the problems, people running these businesses are very experienced and very uh, capable managers, but innovation is different from managing many other parts of, of a business. With uh, manufacturing or production systems, with marketing, with finance, with the sales team, we have some very sophisticated techniques these days which allow us to manage those activities super efficiently. When we come to innovation, it's a much more difficult task. And it's what I characterize as the paradoxes of innovation. Because in a, with managing innovation, we have many different characteristics which fight against each other. And so there's not a clear answer. And let me just give you a couple of examples, but I have many. Um, one example is we want the people in our business to come up with lots of new ideas, but we only have the resources for a small number of projects. You know, how do we still encourage lots of ideas whilst only having a small number of projects? There's a disconnect there which we have to manage. Um, we want all of our projects to succeed, but actually if all of our projects succeed, if we never fail, we're not taking enough risk. Um, we, we want to minimise risk, but at the same time we must accept risk if we're going to do innovation, which is about managing, uh, uh, introducing new ideas which we don't know if they're going to work. Um, we, and, and there are many of these paradoxes, which means that innovation is a difficult activity to manage. Over the last 40 or 50 years, um, a number of techniques have been developed to help us manage innovation better. Um, we have uh, techniques such as uh, the studies around um, multidisciplinary teams, co-located teams, um, uh, project management techniques such as phase gate technology, um, such as rapid prototyping, uh, a whole range of techniques, portfolio management, which help us manage innovation better and enable senior management to make better decisions. What has happened with Lean is that it has brought many of these together. And it actually helps achieve some of the objectives that uh, senior management want. Um, if you look at some of those companies with very large R&D organizations, large innovation activities, they, they're a bit monolithic, you know, and if you characterize them, if you talk to many of the managers in those organizations, they would say they're slow, uh, they're bureaucratic, uh, they are incremental, uh, they're not really pushing the boundaries, they, 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 they're not achieving what the business really needs. What the business wants is uh, fast ideas, uh, uh, making sure that we engaging more effectively with our customers, that we have more 
radical, more breakthrough type of technologies, um, and that we introduce products much more quickly and speedily, and that whilst there may be more risk attached with these type of projects, we manage that risk effectively by project management systems that uh, fail early, uh, but with the projects that we keep going, we accelerate them more rapidly. Those are the characteristics that Lean brings together. And I think the exciting opportunity with uh, applying Lean uh, management techniques uh, and processes to innovation mean that it is about bringing many of those techniques together into one organized system. Now, we've heard today uh, at, the, um, at the conference from General Electric uh, Healthcare Division where they've used their FastWorks program to apply lean uh, innovation management techniques to make their processes, make their innovation more effective, faster, <coughs> more effectively uh, aligned and engaged with uh, customers and the marketplace. Um, and talking with the people involved with it, it seems as though they are very happy with the results and it's uh, and on being questioned in the conference, they explained that they have achieved really tangible results, which not only in terms of product introduction, but also in terms of financial returns that make it work. I think my question is uh, with the applying lean uh, management techniques, which I know and understand, to innovation management in large companies, is that we're going to have to tailor the exact structures, the tools, and the how we integrate these tools together. We'll have to tailor that differently for different businesses. I don't believe there will be a cookie-cutter model that allows us to say, this system works in General Electric and we can then apply it to Procter & Gamble, to Royal Dutch Shell, to um, uh, a, a range of other big companies and say you do it just that way. I think there will have to be quite a detailed study to look at how exactly it should work for different types of businesses. Now you have a quite good insight into kind of lean practices on the, in, for smaller companies, like you know doing it yourself. Uh, and then on the other hand, you have uh, experience in consulting bigger bigger firms. Um, what do you think are the main obstacles with now lean uh, methodologies uh, and, and taking them into the corporate world? Where are the tensions? Um, when we look at businesses, they're really made up of people. And when we look at what people provide, give us, they provide us with the energy, with the ideas, the creativity, all of the good things that make our businesses work. They also provide us with some of the problems and difficulties as well. Uh, and I think that we will find some of those things when we try to introduce lean uh, in the way that General Electric has done um, with their FastWorks program into big companies. Because this is required not just the introduction of some new ideas to supplement the existing ways of managing innovation, but a complete redesign of 
the way that uh, thousands or maybe even tens of thousands of people work on a day-to-day basis. So that needs a very clear structure, it needs a very clear purpose, and it needs to be driven from the top of the organisation. The main board must be totally, totally bought in to this approach and support it, even through times when it looks as though there are difficulties. Um, My general experience is that, um, uh, and I can speak now not from applying lean, but applying other new management techniques to innovation, is that senior management will be very keen. The main board will love to hear how they can save uh, tens or even more of millions of pounds a year. Or, I hope, put another way, can get a lot more value from the same investment in R&D and innovation. Um, the, when first hearing about it, my experience is that the scientists and engineers and the shop floor, the people who are actively engaged in developing new products, will be uncomfortable, unhappy even. Uh, what is this group of consultants coming in to tell us how we should run our organisation? But once they get working with them, the scientists and engineers will really like the improved clarity, the improved contact with customers, the ability to uh, have more responsibility for managing budgets, even if they're smaller, but actually making, doing, running those projects themselves, making decisions closer to the, uh, to the actual work itself. And I think they will be more comfortable with it. Senior management probably is still very happy with the outcome. There is in many organisations a sort of permafrost of middle management that's quite difficult to convince because, and not not surprisingly, they are being given tough um, targets uh, from senior management in terms of budgets, in terms of uh, uh, avoiding major risks while at the same time they're now being given the responsibility to uh, free things up, uh, give that responsibility for decision-making away to other people in the organisation and taking more risks. So there will be, in my experience, and I'm not saying this will happen with every business, but there's often a tough group of middle management that you really have to convince. And, And I think it's the job both of the the, the top management, the board, to to find ways to incentivize, to uh, not just with money, but making it clear why these uh, this new approach is of significant benefit to the business, and also get them to listen to the people who are actually running the projects to hear how this is making the the projects work much better. And although it's, there may be more risk attached, there may be less money involved in running those projects, but actually they they can work better if they are run on lean principles. So it all comes down to people. Uh, uh, I believe there might be initial pushback from the scientists and engineers at the uh, the shop floor, at the coalface, but my experience is generally they come around quite quickly. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that, That makes totally sense to me. Now I'm I'm curious because I think uh, the discussion always, especially in this kind of summit forum here, 
uh, evolves around the disadvantages of, of large com companies and, you know, always compared to startups. Now you've been, you've been involved with a couple of startups y yourself and been, been running them. What would you wish or what are the advantages uh, of big uh, corporations that you would have wished to have uh, as a, as a, as a startup while still keeping the kind of the lean uh, uh, agility and the, the lean um, momentum? Well, it has to be people and resources. And, and the main resource is people. Um, one of the big issues with uh, running a startup, particularly if you are um, producing a physical product, as we do at Podpoint, um, is that below about... 45 or 50 people, uh, you don't have critical mass to do all of the things that you have to do. So you, you, you shortchange on many things. You know, uh, product development is never really done. Uh, it's n new product ideas aren't tested as effectively as they should be. Um, uh, they may be introduced too early uh, and too risky um, with the the business that I'm talking about, we uh, had to use external um, suppliers to install the um, charging points. Uh, being able to manage those resources and particularly maintain high quality assurance on their work was very, very difficult when we have a tiny uh, business and you're having to work across the whole of the UK. Uh, so the thing that you know we you look to a big company, oh my goodness, if only we had the people to make this happen, if we had the range of skills. We're looking, um, we're, we're a business of 100 people, but we still don't have a, a real finance director. We, we've got a financial controller. We don't even have a, our own accountant in-house. Um, we, we've been looking for more than a year for a finance director who would come to join a new startup uh, on a salary which is probably lower than they have been earning before. Uh, getting the right people um, is, is, is the trickiest issue. But you don't just want anyone. We're very, very careful in the people that we recruit at, at Podpoint that they're mostly young, but the really important thing is that they really believe passionately in our mission, which is to take carbon out of the transport system. Um, we don't want people who just want a job. We want people who want to work with our firm. Um, the dynamic that we have within the business is fantastic. When I go into the office, uh, I'm chairman, so I don't work there every day. Uh, but everyone is always so excited, so keen. Uh, if I'm there at 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, half the people in the office are still there working. I tell them, why don't they go home? They say, oh, we just, you know, we, we have to finish this stuff because we really want to make the business succeed. Um, those, you know, uh, you asked me what are the things that we look for from a big so, business, yeah. but actually most big business would love that enthusiasm, energy and commitment yeah. that you can build in a small firm. So there are swings and roundabouts. We don't have their money, we don't have their large number of people and systems and processes, but we do have energy, excitement, commitment to our, uh, our values and our beliefs. 
what do you think also and and and, and i'm really uh, it's really uh, really valuable that you are able to you know talk about your own experiences uh, with with the with the lean methodologies um what uh, what do you think where does kind of the lean more iterative learning methodology or experiential methodology methodology where does it work and where doesn't it work hmm. and what are the reasons for that well I think, um, let me go back to uh, what causes problems with innovation projects. We know that uh, some innovation projects will, will fail and will not succeed. Sometimes that's because of the technology. Sometimes it's because we make the wrong decisions as managers. Um, we did, at the Judge Business School, we did a big study of what causes projects to fail. And the number one cause is failure to understand the customer's needs. They may tell you what they want. Um, uh, it's, it's quite interesting that uh, uh, w when you look at uh, what Steve Jobs, uh, who was one of the greatest product developers and innovators we've ever seen, uh, he said, don't ask your customers what they want because they'll mislead you. We, shouldn't, we should ask them what they want, but we have to look at it very carefully. What's much more important is to study how they use a product to understand what they need. And that must be at the heart of our product development activities, really getting to understand our customer needs. This needs what, what people call epidemiological studies, which means looking carefully at a number, a large number of our customers to see how do they use our product. Watch them carefully. Don't tell them they're using it wrongly, um, but watch how they do things and why they do things. And you can learn a huge amount that those customers could never tell you. Um, so it, it needs for us to be clever in understanding uh, what customers really need. Now, this is important because this, is, uh, uh, this should then drive our product development of product innovation. We're still not going to get it right first time. We still need to do rapid prototyping and piloting and testing with customers to find out what they really, how it really is going to work right for them. I would expect a minimum of five or six cycles of that process before we really get to something which is much better than the competition and is just what our customers want. And sometimes we may need even more cycles than that to get something which is really beats the competition. Now, we need to do that not just once. We need to do it every time we're working on developing a new product. Um, at Podpoint, we have a dedicated team who spend their time talking to customers, uh, running focus groups, but also doing epidemiological studies, sitting in cars with electric cars with customers and watching how they drive them, how they use them, and how they charge them. Not commenting, not telling them they're doing it wrongly, but just watching what they're doing. And what we're really looking for is that aha moment. We go, huh? Why did you do that? You know, and then maybe engaging with the user to understand why they were doing something which we didn't expect. That's how we are likely to learn about habits and, and needs that we we otherwise wouldn't have understood. Now, making that an integral part of our product development process, a learn, learning process, is very important. Um, and 
it's not the only one, but it's a good example because it's something that we shouldn't just do once and then say, well, now we know best. We will continue to come up with the ideas. We must always do that at every iteration, even for small incremental product improvements and developments. Now, now you were you were talking about uh, kind of s small experiments and and watching how the feedback is and 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 those iterative loops. How do you now talking about uh, the the startup? How do you measure uh, measure on the, how do measurements look like at uh, running those experiments? Or Th there's a trade-off here. Yeah. How ideally we look at hundreds of customer user interactions um, and maybe you know, we should spend weeks and months sat in a car working you know, with a user to understand every element of their how they use a vehicle and how they recharge it um, and I'm talking here about recharging but of course you know, watching customers use a product is different for different products you know, but I'm using this as an example um, we often don't have the time to spend months and months with one or two customers, or, or in fact, not one or two. We should be doing it with probably 50 or 100 customers. What's the trade-off? How, how many observations do we need to make before we are absolutely certain that we've captured 98% of user needs? Well, that, that is a, uh, I don't, that's an interesting trade-off. One solution is to... Uh, sort of draw a curve of the n level of new information that we receive with each incremental observation. And when that curve flattens off, you know, you know you've probably got to saturation. Um, that's, that, that's probably not a bad solution, but it, it still might miss out the occasional customer interaction that you just haven't picked up. Uh, so in terms of how many engagements should that be? It will depend on uh, the type of product or service, the uh, market sector in which you work. But, but we do uh, many dozens of customer interactions and spend days, our uh, market analysis team spend days in customers' cars with them, just sitting quietly watching what they do. Uh, and that helps us a great deal with designing and developing much better charge systems. Now, this when I listen to you, I mean we're we're talking about a lot of qualitative information uh, at this point in time, and um, and now taking thinking about and I mean you've been uh, experiencing in in your consulting work experiencing bigger companies, um, which are in many cases at least uh, more quantitatively concerned with their their daily businesses. How do you think those two uh, kind of ways at looking at data is, uh, you know, is is lived or experienced in, in in the bigger companies? Well, I think I mean even in Podpoint we do quantitative market analysis. Most of that would be uh, uh, secondary market data, which we collect from the internet, from uh, journals, and from other sources like that. Certainly, I I know working with uh, large um, large corporates on innovation, com like companies like pharmaceutical companies or uh, fast-moving consumer goods businesses, 
they will have huge amounts of and, and can access large data sets which tell them about certain groups of customers. Um, if I think back you know, to when I was working on projects like this 10 years ago, um, you would uh, collect data from the uh, internet on uh, demographics, how many people there were, income distribution, buying habits, uh, competitive data, uh, and th there's a huge amount of data available. These days, the situation is, if anything, even more complex because we have big data analysis which we get from many of the uh, internet um, uh, data feeds on customers' buying habits, which are obviously broken down at an individual level. The management of that information is very, very important. Uh, and you really need to have people who can analyze it in the, in the way which is going to give you useful information to make so you make the right decisions. Uh, and I think increasingly it's management's job to make sure that we are analyzing or, or structuring our big data algorithms and the way that we interrogate that, those data effectively so that we get the right answers. If we just ask random questions of, from big data, we're going to get random answers back. So even though it's quantitative, it may be giving us the wrong data. Um, I, I believe there's always going to be a, a balance between quantitative data and qualitative data as well, or qualitative uh, analysis and observations. You know, and it's really up to the the project team, the innovators themselves, to use the, that information uh, effectively to firstly come up with the right ideas and secondly to then evolve and develop those um, to, through a number of prototype cycles and testing to make sure that we end up with a product which is really uh, a world beater. Um, I, I'm always encouraging development teams not just to have to have a product which is not just okay, not just good enough for a, a customer, but is something which really knocks their socks off, which inspires them, which means there's no question they're going to buy a competitive product because our product is so much better than the competition. That's achieved by our development teams. It's not achieved by luck. You don't just get there by having a, a brilliant idea which just comes from the blue. It comes as a result of deep, detailed, and often painstaking work and analysis. Collecting the data, coming up with ideas, testing with uh, our customers, uh, re re refining them, redeveloping them, and going through that loop many times, and watching very carefully how our customers respond and interact and use our products. Uh, and it's that work which is, which is at the heart of really effective product development teams and it's what makes the difference between the brilliant companies you know, like like Apple and those companies which are also ran. Last question uh, and I'm I'm really happy to have you here as a as an experienced uh, you know practitioner but also researcher uh, throughout the last decades. Um, why hasn't it been like that before? Well, I think uh, it it has been like that before at times. Um, I read, uh, I reread 
um, over the last weekend uh, a paper from Harvard Business Review, which I hadn't read for a long time. It's called Managing Technological uh, Innovation, uh, a box of cigars for Brad. It was written in 1975. And when I read it, I thought I could identify at least half of the elements that go to make up um, FastWorks programs, the you know, application of lean into uh, innovation management. Uh, the thing is, and this is a very interesting characteristic about many management techniques, is that we need to relearn them with every new generation of managers. And when I read that paper, I could see that th they were talking in there in 1975 about uh, a set of techniques that could be used to help manage innovation better, which uh, people in 1985 and 1995 had either forgotten about or had never been taught. So we, and it's interesting that many management techniques are somewhat different than the knowledge base that we have in the sciences. I'm a chemist, and we build up knowledge, and that knowledge always seems to increase. We don't forget what we knew, what was le learned or discovered in the 1890s or the 1920s. You know, we build upon that. But management techniques uh, in businesses don't seem to work that way, and we need to remember to retrain, reskill new management teams as they come through. People don't learn this. It's not built into their DNA. And in many cases, they don't learn it uh, at university. If you've done an engineering degree or maybe a degree in fine arts or the humanities, you're not going to know how to run a business. You're not going to have been taught anything about managing innovation. And so you're going to do it by the seat of your pants. You know, and you're going to make the wrong decisions. And you won't know what people learned in 19, knew in 1975. Um, so there's a real need for continuous management training. It's not something you do once and then it's forgotten about. We need to keep doing this in every business to make sure people really are right up to date with the right approaches for managing innovation in businesses. Um, in many cases, the sort of companies that come to Innovation Roundtable, they're spending, as we've said, hundreds or thousands of millions of dollars every year. Uh, we need to make sure that they really understand how to invest that money properly, to use the right processes, and to get great results for the business, for their customers, and even for their shareholders. Thank you very much for for being here with us and sharing uh, your insights. Um, It's been a great pleasure. I've enjoyed being at the Innovation Roundtable. Thank you. Thank you. The video version of this podcast can be accessed via innovationroundtable.online. The Innovation Roundtable online network is your portal to a wide variety of exclusive content, including video presentations, interviews, insights reports, and articles. Not only that, innovationroundtable.online is also a place where you can connect with other corporate innovators, share experiences, request collaborations, and gain inspiration from your peers. Our network is exclusively for innovation practitioners and large firms, so visit innovationroundtable.online to discover more and request your seven-day free trial account.